Welcome to What the Fab, a fans for sports network fantasy baseball show where there are no silly questions. I'm Sarah Sanchez, and as always, I am here to break down what's going on in fantasy baseball. And it has been wild the last few weeks with all of the free agents and Fab, and we're, we'll get into it uh, with some of the greatest minds in the industry in a way that strives to demystify this game a little bit while bridging the gap between your home league and the NFBC main event. Today, uh, we are early decision making with Justin Mason. Justin is a contributor at Rotographs and Fantasy Pros. You know him as the co-host of The Sleeper and the Bus, Friends with Fantasy Benefits. And he makes sure that TGFBI and Potapalooza happen each year, which is honestly like just a huge task. And I'm super grateful that he does it. He's also just one of my favorite people in the fantasy world. So welcome to What the Fab, Justin. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. It was great to hang out with you at uh, First Pitch Arizona and uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's always just a, a great time to sit down and talk baseball with you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation a lot. I'm also looking forward to it because we're what, like six, seven weeks into the season now. We've got some actual data, like we know who which guys have actually sort of hit, where they haven't hit, where maybe strategies we had had to be retooled and we can kind of dig into it a little bit and talk about like, what are you waiting for? What are you ready to cut bait on? How are you making those decisions early on? Which I, I just find this to be one of the most interesting times of the fantasy baseball year. Um, and one of the things that we'll get into, I'm sure, is just the number of impactful call-ups that have happened already in 2023 has been kind of wild. But before we jump in to that, I want to do a little bit of news from around the league on the injury side of things. Uh, looks like Rossiel Iglesias is back in Atlanta. And, you know, I was vulturing some of those AJ Minter saves, which is great. And he's also been tanking my ratio. So I don't, I don't really know how great the AJ Minter situation was for me uh, at the end of the day. I'll take the seven saves, but yikes, that 7.5 ERA is kind of not pretty. What do you see? I, I think Iglesias gets the job back pretty much immediately. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, he goes right back to being, a top five, top 10 closer, uh, kind of depending on where you had him prior to the injury. Uh, I would, I mean, I think you're dropping AJ Minter, uh, unless you're in a really, really deep league. I would keep a close eye on it, right? Because Iglesias is dealing with a shoulder issue. Those things tend to reoccur. Uh, and, you know, and I don't know, like I have like a, like a real fear that something's going to happen to Iglesias again. So while I think you probably should drop, mentor in most leagues he's clearly the guy if if something were to happen at Glacius again so be ready to pull the trigger right back and if you're in a deeper league maybe you hold on to mentor for an extra week or two I am in like my NFBC $1,500 auction I I got those seven saves and those bad ratios from AJ mentor as well and I'm not quite dropping him I'm going to hold on to him for a week or two and kind of just wait and see to make sure Glacius is actually fully healthy yeah, I think that's great advice. I'm holding on to AJ Mentor anywhere I can, anywhere where the spot isn't just causing a huge disaster, particularly at the NFBC. Um, the other place that I'm definitely holding Mentor is in holds leagues. Uh, the Tout Wars League that I'm in is a 12-team uh, saves plus holds league, and obviously Mentor still has value there. I don't have AJ Mentor there. I think Chris Towers took AJ Mentor, but um, if you have Mentor in a holds league, obviously hang on to him there. Also with the Braves, uh, Orlando Arcia is back and Von Grissom got sent to the minors faster than, I mean, it kind of made my head spin a little bit, which is a bummer. I thought, I thought Grissom had done a nice job with the Braves, but the defense wasn't quite there. They don't clearly want to play him in the outfield. It looks like they actually called up Brendan Shoemake, who is, he has been doing some damage 
for them at AAA, and I've been keeping an eye on him for a new column I'm working on at Baseball HQ, looking at the NL East and playing time. What do you see with this Braves situation with Arcia coming back? I, I don't know that it's super fantasy relevant. I mean, it was a bummer that Grisham didn't get a longer chance to kind of prove that he belonged. We know the bat can play at the major league level. We saw it last year though he did have a 71 WRC plus in his call up this year. So while he was hitting for some average, it was empty. There were zero home runs, zero stolen bases, hit in the bottom of the line item. And the problem with all these guys, Shoemake, uh, Arcia, uh, Grisham, is they're all going to hit at the bottom of the order because that Braves lineup is stacked. And so uh, outside of like NL only and maybe like really deep 15 team mixed or deeper than that in a mixed league, like they just don't offer enough because they're batting so low in the order. So, uh, yeah, NL only they're interesting, but outside of that, you probably look in a different direction for some more upside. Yeah, I agree with that. And one of the things about the Grissom demo- demotion in particular that I think has just been a stress point um, for in a lot of my teams, at least this year, middle infielder has been hard to fill. And there's a lot of guys who we know are coming back, like a Jose Altuve or something, and that's great when they're back, but they're not back yet. And so if you're trying to fill that middle infielder spot, you, you just got one fewer option with Grissom heading to AAA, and um, hopefully we're able to pick up Arcia in his stead. Yeah, I mean, it has been kind of a nightmare in the middle infield, which was we knew second base was bad, but we thought shortstop uh, was a little bit thicker. But what we're realizing is it was thick at the top. It, and I think some of us realized that in draft season, it was like, oh, you want to get one of these top tier shortstops because uh, there isn't a lot of depth necessarily at the position. And then you have, you know, some big injuries early on to like Corey Seager, Altuve at second. Uh, you know, Tim Anderson was out for a while, like, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, now there's really not much out there. So, uh, I, I've got a couple teams where I'm just kind of cycling through guys, and I ended up on Ezekiel Duran, which has been good for a little bit, but I'm sure I'll fall apart here in the next week or two, and I'll be off to the next guy until I'll do the and see your comeback. Yeah, the guy that really sort of saved, uh, two guys actually, that I invested in and I was able to get in a lot of leagues, but it was right as I realized that the shortstop middle infielder situation was going to be kind of disastrous. I was like, oh, I need some depth here. Um, Mauricio Dubon, who's been holding down uh, an, a low leadoff spot for the Astros with Altuve out, um, and he's been doing fine, but he, he has no power. He doesn't run a lot. He's just, it's batting average. It's a lot of batting average. It's good batting average, um, but that's what it is, <laughs> batting average and runs. Um, and then uh, Edmundo Sosa, who has actually been playing quite a bit for the Phillies, and I was a little nervous he might lose playing time with Bryce Harper back. He's the next uh, shout-out on my list here. I still cannot believe Bryce Harper is back and playing every day. It's unbelievable. I uh, Jenny Butler was on this show last week. We were talking about how you can't really will your UCL to heal, so we don't understand how this happened, and yet he did it. So I'm just going to stop questioning Bryce Harper things. But Sosa is still in that lineup. He is still playing every day. Admittedly, he's hitting ninth. It's not exactly fancy, but you know he has been hitting 300 since he moved over to the Phillies. I don't know if it was just – a case of Kevin Long having a solution that maybe the Cardinals had never deployed there, but he was a nice pickup for me early on. And honestly, like when you're looking at Sosa and Dubon as like the guy, I got lucky. That's not a great space for your fantasy teams to be in. <laughs> I think Sosa and the Vaughn Grisham demotion, you know, now multiple demotions uh, tells you something that we don't talk enough about in fantasy because it's not, you know, technically relevant 
but it is really relevant as defense. And Sosa plays pretty good defense. That's a reason why he's getting in there, especially with, you know, the bad defense the Phillies have in the corners of that outfield. It's why Brandon Marsh has gotten so much run. I know Marsh has been out of his mind to start the season, but even when that falls apart, he's going to get to keep playing. And Grisham, the reason he's not playing is because his defense is so bad. And so as much as we're like, we don't care about defense in fantasy, we actually do care because playing time is king and you only get playing time if you're a good enough defender that you're not a liability to your team. I think that's a great point. And defense is one of those places where if you don't, if, if, if you're not capable of holding down uh, your stead in the lineup, then decisions have to change really fast. We're going to talk about a place where defense might matter a lot, although I think it might be kind of scapegoaty too. And in just a second um, after we do this injury report, but that's a, that's just a preview for my Cardinals notes later in, in this podcast. Um, pitching injuries have also been rampant, and the two rotations that look the most decimated to my eye at the moment are the Minnesota Twins losing both Tyler Molly and Kenta Maeda. Um, they called up Louis Varland, who had a nice start to start his MLB career. Um, what do you? And I think Bailey Ober is also going to get a shot in this rotation. What do you see here from the Twins? I mean, this was one of the issues with the twins coming in is their entire team, not just their pitching staff is like held together by duct tape. Like you've got a whole bunch of guys who are like really, really injury prone. You can see like on paper when you don't include like the injury risk that the twins could easily be the best team in that division. It's going to be really hard for them to keep it all together. I mean, Buxton isn't playing the field. Carlos Correa is like, you know, an untied shoelace away from the IL. Uh, at all times, Alex Kirilov is finally on the team. Like, and then you, you talk about this rotation, like you said, I mean, Molly was the guy that I've always really liked. And all I kept saying for years was get him out of Cincinnati, get him out of Cincinnati, get him out of Cincinnati, get him out of Cincinnati. He gets hurt. And I, I would not touch him this year, even though I've always loved the skills because I just, I didn't trust the health and we're right back to that. Kent Maeda coming off of Tommy John. I wasn't touching him. Uh, the replacements are interesting. Varlins had some, you know, increased velocity. The pitches and the stuff look really, really good, but he's having a hard time commanding it in the zone, and it's leading to home, a home run problem, uh, which, you know, if you're going to have a home run problem, Minnesota's not a bad team necessarily to have it on. It's not a bad park to pitch in, uh, and that outfield defense is typically elite. Uh, but Ugh, I, th- I think it's a pretty risky bet. He's got a pretty rough two start this week that I, I wasn't willing to roll him out for. I like Bailey over a lot. I think the question again becomes health and how many innings does he throw? And does he have a homer problem? He likes to give up a lot of fly balls uh, as well. I think I prefer over to Varlin just because he's a little bit more known of a uh, commodity, but neither of them are guys like that. I'm like going to the waiver wire in 10 team leagues for like, if you're in a 15 team league, you grab whatever you can get off the wire, but in a 10 teamer, like I'm I'm probably staying away from those guys. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other rotation that is having some serious issues at the moment, Jose Arquiti hit the 15 day IL and Luis Garcia, who I have in a bunch of places and absolutely was enamored with after watching him throw in the world baseball classic is out for the season. He's going to have Tommy John surgery. That's a huge hit to a bunch of my teams, even with some of this young starting pitching talent coming up, it's it's really hard to replace an arm like Luis Garcia's. Um, the Astros, it looks like, have called up Brandon 
Bilak or or is that B-lac. just a project? Yeah, Bilak. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know how to pronounce this one. My apologies, Brandon. Um, but what do, what do we see with this Astros rotation? I mean, that is a place that I have always loved to speculate on starting pitching because it doesn't seem to matter who they call up. They just do the job they need to do. Bilak is kind of a, um, a low upside, kind of higher ceiling kind of prospect. Like it's pretty decent command, but not very good stuff. Uh, like he's okay. I think in, in a deeper format, you kind of like him a little bit because he's going to go out there every fifth day. And and like you mentioned, that Astros rotation, you didn't even mention like Lance McCullers hasn't even, you know, been around like um, so. And like, it's that another rotation held together by duct tape. JB France is a guy I'm a little bit more interesting. This stuff is really, really good. And he was my target or one of my big targets this week in fab, uh, especially when I wasn't willing to spend $400 on uh, Bryce Miller. Uh, so, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a little bit, just the insane insanity of pricing uh, that we've seen so far uh, this year. Uh, but I think JP France, um, it, it's really, really good stuff. I think he could stick in the rotation, especially with all these injuries. Uh, and he's way under the radar uh, as opposed to some other guys that uh, we've been hearing about in, in fab and uh, a guy like he was so under the radar. I forgot to put him on my show notes for my fab podcast yesterday on sleeper in the bus. And then I was like, Oh no, France is going to be in this rotation. So, uh, you know, maybe it's my French heritage that has me um, more interested in him than I should be. But I was really intrigued by his first start. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, JP France, great call out there. And honestly, um, with somebody I had in some waterfalls as well. So didn't get him anywhere because, as you noted, the fab bidding has been wild. But that's coming up later in the show. Stick around for our notes on fab. Just a couple more position player Uh, injuries really quick. You know, the Yankees, um, the Yankees lineup is still missing Aaron Judge, still missing Giancarlo Stanton. It's just not that scary of a lineup to me at the moment with both of those dudes out. Although I imagine um, Aaron Judge hopefully should be back soon. I don't think there's anything there that has us thinking he's going to be out for months and tomorrow. months for like weeks and weeks. Yeah. Days yeah, and days. It, he's on He's on pace for tomorrow. Uh, someone mentioned in my chat earlier today that they were a little worried about Judge's kind of underlying numbers and I kind of you know, I, took, I haven't done a deep dive on it yet but a little bit concerning. Like he's got a, a much lower zone contact rate. He's swinging and misses a little bit more. Um, you have to wonder how much of that is like he has been nicked up quite a bit this year. And so I'm not like panicking or anything like that, but definitely something I'm keeping an eye on because you could still get a mint for, for judge. If you did want to, you know, try to trade him for something, especially if you're, you're like pitching needy right now, which I think a lot of people are. So uh, definitely something I'm keeping an eye on. Like the Yankee said, he's supposed to be back tomorrow as long as he doesn't have a setback between now and then. So you get him right back into your lineups and hope that he goes back to being the Aaron Judge we saw last year. Yeah, that's interesting. I had not looked at Judge's underlying numbers, but I might take a peek at that as well. I don't think I have Judge anywhere though, so I don't know right. that I'd have him to trade. Um, but that's a really that that's a nice shout out that if you have Judge and you do have those concerns, turning him into starting pitching right now would not be the worst idea. Um, and then, you know, this Pirates offense is kind of interesting to me. They seem to be just taking advantage of the new rules. I mean, they have more stolen bases than anybody in the league. And they're just like, we're just going to keep doing this. We're just going to keep running and hitting home runs. And that's all we're going to do. Uh, 
Bay McCutcheon and Velasquez are all on the IL for the Pirates in the short term. Um, Bay is kind of a bummer because he was putting up some real awesome stolen base numbers. And I'm not sure how much Andrew McCutcheon being on the IL impacts this Pirates offense, but I will say his presence seems to have positively impacted the team. The Pirates look legit good. I It has been a hot minute since I have been able to say that. Uh, and I, I watch a lot of NL Central baseball and – I don't know. Now we're going on six weeks of the Pirates looking legit. So um, we'll see what happens. I don't know how much of it is McCutcheon's veteran grindiness presence, but I hope he's back soon. Uh, I kind of called this. Um, I, you know, Paul and I got into some arguments on the sleeper on the bus in preseason. And I kept saying like, I, you know, cause I was really high on uh, Brian Reynolds uh, and because I didn't really understand why the market was devaluing him as much as they did. And I, and he kept saying, well, it's because the Pirates suck. And I was like, I think the Pirates are better than you think they are. Um, and so far they are. Now McCutcheon is kind of, and Bay are both kind of decent-sized hits. I, I know McCutcheon's only hitting like 238, but he's got a 117 WRC plus in large part because he walks, he gets on base so much, and he doesn't strike out. Like, he, you know, he just moves things along. For that team, so I think it is a little bit of a big hit. And Bay is a huge hit for fantasy because I mean the stolen bases you're getting. You just got middle infield eligibility as well. So uh, another one of those guys you could have backfilled, you know, mm-hmm. your middle infield problems with. So uh, those are huge bummers. Uh, you know, Velasquez one that was going to turn into a pumpkin anyways. Yeah. It just happened, you know, with a, with an injury as opposed to. Uh, with uh, just natural regression back to him being the the awful pitcher that he usually tends to be. Uh, but uh, on the plus side, they're getting Luis Ortiz getting called up today. So, uh, uh, you know, pro- pitching prospect that we saw briefly last year, that is really, really good stuff. Um, and they have nobody else to kind of replace him. So I think they're going to give him a lot of options. He was only one of two starters on the 40-man um, in AAA. So... Uh, he's going to have plenty of rope. If you're looking for like a high upside starter uh, that people aren't really talking about while everybody else is spending the money on the other guys, I think Luis Ortiz is a really interesting guy right now. I was going to say, I think I'm sure Luis Ortiz's value will be up to $190 by the time Thab runs on Sunday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody, every single pitcher that I hear about on Monday of any show like this, it's like, oh yeah, you might be able to sneak this guy. Nope, not sneaking that guy through. He's worth $195 of Thab by Sunday night. <laughs> I know we're going to talk about this here in a little bit, but at some point people run out of money, right? Like, this isn't, this <laughs> I don't isn't know. Like a, this isn't a credit situation where everybody can keep spending two, three, four hundred dollars on players uh, each week. At some point, if you haven't been the people who have been spending all this money, uh, other people should be out and you should have the most. Theoretically, I was looking at some of the NFBC totals in my leagues and I'm like, okay, there are a handful of people who are down in the sub 200 range already. And, and that is indicative of the prices starting pitching has gone for early. Uh, we're getting to that before we get to that. It's not really an injury situation, but it is a playing time situation. This Cardinal situation is a mess. And I mean, I don't know how much I've gotten into my love of Wilson Contreras on the show yet. It's definitely a running theme on my Cubs podcast, Cup of Cubby Blue. But I will just say, I think Contreras is kind of getting scapegoated here. It's not like the Cardinals didn't know he wasn't the world's best defensive catcher when they signed him to the deal they signed him to. I'm not entirely sure how to make of this. The weirdest part of it to me, and I'm curious about your thoughts here. It really just looks like it's amateur hour from a PR perspective 
in St. Louis. Like he had the Tyler O'Neill situation earlier this year where he spoke out of turn or whatever, and it rubbed Ali Marmol the wrong way. And Marmol came out and talked about it in the press, which was just kind of yikes. And then you've got Wilson Contreras. As far as I can tell, reading the reporting from Katie Wu at The Athletic, walking into the clubhouse to realize that another catcher had been pulled up without being talked to about it and then being told he's going to be the DH outfielder. And then within 24 hours, he's just the DH. I mean, the whole thing screams that they don't know what's going on in St. Louis and they're panicking. Yeah. And I get it because they're like playing like the worst team in baseball, even though they were by world series pick in the national league. Um, You're not alone though. Lots of people think St. Louis in the national league. I still think they're a playoff team. Like I, I understand they're like eleven and twenty-four or whatever. You know, we saw this the year the Nationals went on and won the World Series, right? Like they started off absolutely atrociously. You know, things got kickstarted and they were fine. Like this Cardinals team is way too good. It is clearly on paper the best team in that division. I like I overall like I'm not necessarily worried about the team. I think they're going to end up being fine. Maybe they end up missing the playoffs or or not winning the division because of this awful start but i also think with the extra playoff spots like they could backdoor their way in pretty easily so but like it's an organization that they don't tend to panic like this like this is it's kind of uh, it's kind of historic to me at least as long as i've been a baseball fan i've never seen the cardinals be this organization and do something like this uh you just signed this dude to an absurdly like long contract for a catcher uh, because he is super, super talented buying the plate, super, super talented at the plate. And you have a loaded team. And absolutely, I mean, even with missing Tyler O'Neill with injury right now, like this is still a super loaded team. Uh, you can't put him at the DH and block Juan Yepes off and Nolan Gorman and Brandon Donovan and all these guys that are going to lose playing time because now you don't have that DH spot to put a guy like Yepes um, or put a guy like Gorman. Like, uh, I, I don't understand the process. Uh, I think this is uh, this scapegoating and scapegoating the guy you just paid way too much money to. Like, that's not the dude. Like, he's not the reason they're losing, like, in no way, shape, or form. Uh, if anything, he is one of the few bright spots on this team right now. So why are you messing with him? Yeah, it's so weird. And honestly, like the timing could not be worse. Like you have the Wilson Contreras narrative startup right as you're headed into Chicago, <laughs> where like the Chicago media is going to blow this up too. I mean, it's just been kind of a disaster from a front office perspective, as much as from a player perspective with the Cardinals. And the last thing I'll say, Alex Santi and I were talking about this on Twitter last night, but like the the rotation is just bad. The problem is not pitch calling. It's not like Kinzer or like Barrera is going to do a much better job with Adam Wainwright is in the twilight of his career and he has been struggling. He's going to come back. We'll see how he does. He's, you know, the 9 million lives of Adam Wainwright. Perhaps he'll come back one more time, but like it, it's not that shocking that he would struggle. Jack Flaherty hasn't had a really successful season since 2019. Miles Michaelis was always kind of that dude who was on the edge of like, weak contact for outs versus weak contact that could get through and babib you to death. Jordan Montgomery is still Jordan Montgomery. I mean, the whole, the whole thing just kind of screams, they don't have an explanation. And so they, they're trying something new and Wilson Contreras just kind of wound up the dude getting tarred with this particular 
media narrative. And frankly, I think that sucks. Like I would hate it if I was Wilson Contreras. I would hate it if I was a Cardinals teammate of Wilson Contreras. I would kind of hate it if I was a guy looking to ever sign with the Cardinals. So the Cardinals putting on their best, like we are the Colorado Rockies uh, act is, is sort of funny to me this week. And, and I mean, like, it's not like the pitching has even been like, I mean, Steven Matz has been bad, but that's just Steven Matz. Like, and you have Matthew Libertor in AAA, who's been fantastic. Like, put Matz into the bullpen and and put Libertor into the rotation. Uh, you know, Nicholas, yes, he, you know, I we knew there was going to be a regression, especially with the lack of shifting this year. But, like, he's been better as of late. Uh, Jack Flaherty, it's really one really, really, really bad start that ruined his numbers, even though he hasn't looked very good necessarily been walking way too many guys prior to that bad start. But like, I don't know, like I trade one of these bats trade, if like trade one of the trade, I mean, before you can't do it with Tyler O'Neill now that he's hurt, but like they should have traded Tyler O'Neill for a pitcher, like go to the Texas Rangers and be like, hey, need a you know need a bat with all these starting pitchers, you know that you got like you know, and I just or, or to the Marlins or just somebody like there were a few teams that had a bunch of starting pitching at the beginning of the year. Now, of course, with the injuries, like there isn't as much, and this is why teams don't want to trade starting pitching. But uh, I don't know. I just it's so weird to see the Cardinals be this organization. This is not who I expect to do this kind of stuff. Yeah, I totally agree. The Marlins would have been a great fit for Tyler and Tyler O'Neill. I mean, the Marlins are just a team of second basemen and then like Jorge Soler and Jesus Sanchez. It's like mm -hmm. we have seven second basemen and two guys who can slug. Uh, but we're here to talk early decision making um, this season, how you're making decisions about your fantasy team and, and what types of decisions you're making. And, and I feel like one way to do this is let's just start with our priors. So coming into the season, they're guys you love that you wanted on every team. I know I've got my guys. I'm sure you've got your guys. Uh, which of, Let's start with the good news. Which of the guys who you loved coming into the season really took off and did exactly what you thought they would, or maybe even more? And, and I'll start with one of my favorites. That's Yandy Diaz, who I've liked Yandy a lot for a couple of years now. I wound up picking him up in the 12-team Tout Wars league that I'm in last year, mainly on the strength of his on-base percentage numbers and noticing that he was getting more frequent playing time. I mean, the, the big concern there has always been the playing time. That seems to have vanished. And he's hitting for power now. So he's taking that on-base percentage and turning it into runs and home runs. And you're getting a piece of that Tampa Bay offense. Yandy Diaz was somebody I believed in coming into the season. And he has gone above and beyond everything I thought he would do. Uh, Diaz is one of those guys that, like, I, I, I really uh, – I didn't miss the boat on necessarily. But I should have gotten more shares of because I did my own projections this year. And like, and it was a long, tedious process because I'm not as smart as people like Ariel Cohen and, and, and Derek Cardi who can just like press buttons on a computer and have it populate. Like I had to actually do everything by hand. And Yandy Diaz was a guy that was consistently like underpriced in the market. And I should have ended up with more and I should have trusted my projections more uh, because I had him, you know, five, six dollars more than where he was going in the market. Uh, so good call. Good on you for, for pulling the trigger because I didn't pull the trigger enough on him, uh, except for in a few DCs where I, I'm enjoying reaping those benefits. I mean, the place where I got him for the best value, um, and this is not to rub salt in an open wound, but our podcaster is Auto New League. I got Yandy for two bucks and he has been mm -hmm. one of the best players in fantasy this year. I slot him in 
every day and forget about it. And I am, yeah, I am loving Yandy Diaz on that. I don't know team. Who's, who's one of your players that you believed in that definitely is hitting for you right now, Justin. Uh, I mean, Jared Kelnick, I, like I, I, uh, prior to all the news and stuff coming out on him, you know, changing things in the off season, I was already on him. Uh, and like, there's, you, you can go back through the archives of my articles and, and my podcast prior to everybody else kind of jumping on board and inflating the price. Uh, but I mean, this was a guy that was a top tier can't miss prospect uh, that struggled at, at the major league level prior to the season. But one of the things that I kept, you know, kind of faith on was the fact that he'd go back down to the minors and smash and just be that can't miss guy that we thought we were going to get at the major league level. And for me, it really boiled down to, I think he was just in his head when he said, I think he was pressing. I think he was trying to like compete with J rod and, and like deliver on the promise of this guy who was supposed to be like a better prospect than, than Julio Rodriguez. Um, and so uh, I, I had a lot of faith that he was going to figure it out at some point. And early on in draft season, you were getting him for like nothing. You were getting him outside the top 300, but even once he started showing that promise in spring uh, and you heard all the reports of, Oh, he, you know, he did driveline and he did this and he did that. And he's looking really good. I was all on board. And so I, I have profited a lot off of uh, Kelnick uh, and I'm, I'm so glad I kind of kept the faith on that one. Kelnick looks amazing this season. Uh, the Mariners have already come through Wrigley field. And so I got to see him, up close, he hit a home run to the upper deck of the center field bleachers at Wrigley, which I just don't even know how to tell people that no one hits home runs there. I, I've i never seen a home run hit to that part of the bleachers. And I know that we think the ball is a little bit more lively this year and whatever. Maybe so, but I didn't see a ball hit to that part of the center field bleachers in 2019 with the crazy rabbit ball. So, uh, yeah, Kellenick is absolutely mashing right now. And he looks totally legit. The other guy who I definitely believed in this season, I only have him in a handful of places, but I'm very grateful everywhere I do is Nico Horner. I wanted Nico Horner for a couple of reasons. One, he only had shortstop eligibility coming into the season, but I knew he would get second base eligibility eventually because Dansby was going to play shortstop. And the thing with Nico is that he sort of looks like a guy who could hit 300. In fact, he was hitting 300 last season until about the third week in August when he sort of flagged a bit. And we talk about this with pitchers all the time. Oh, they're hitting their innings limit. They don't look as crisp as they did earlier in the season. Da 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 da. I think we forget that that could happen with position players too. Last season was the longest season that Nico Horner has ever played uh, of professional baseball. And I think he wound up the season with, you know, like a 277 average, something like that. He, you know, hit you double digit home runs and he sold you double digit bags. But with the new rules, he was talking about running a lot in spring training. Nico Horner looks like a guy who's going to hit 310 and steal you upwards of 30 bags right now. You might get to 10 home runs, but if he if he steals you 30 plus bags and hits over 300, that's worth it. Yeah, I mean, so here's the thing about uh Nico was uh, I was huge on him coming into draft season. Uh, in large part because I had no idea, and and everybody was like, you know, oh, stolen bases are going to do this, and the lack of shifting is going to do this, and the pitch clock is going to do that. Like, no one knew. 
we had no idea. But what we do know about, and we also, the ball, right? Like, we've had dead balls. We've had live balls. We've had balls in between. We've had, like, supercharged balls. Like, we just never know what MLB is going to do in that regard. And with so many question marks, one of the things I really wanted to focus on this, this year was just pure hitting talent. And Nico Horner is just a pure good hitter. Uh, you know, I mean, he elite zone contact with speed. And we were like, okay, well, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of talk was like the guys who were going to get the biggest boost in stolen bases were those guys who were kind of like middle tier, right? Like not the guys who were always run are still always going to run. The guys who never run aren't going to run. But those guys who like kind of in the middle of that, like could get a real big boost. Uh, and I was like, well, that, that seems like Nico Horner to me. Uh, and so the only bummer for me is the day I was in Vegas or the weekend I was in Vegas for my big NFBC dress, he was dealing with a bicep injury and like, uh, and I was like, Oh, so I kind of moved him off my board a little bit. And I'm regretting that because I have a lot of Nico Horner shares, but not in my most expensive leagues, unfortunately. Oh, that's a bummer. Well, luckily you have a lot of Nico shares in some other places because he is having quite the season hitting leadoff every single day for the Chicago Cubs and this Cubs lineup and offense looks better than it was advertised to be. And it's only going to improve with the additions of Matt Mervis. Um, I actually, I, I've been pretty impressed with what Miguel Amaya has done so far. It's it's telling to me that the Cubs do not seem to want to play Tucker Barnhart in an everyday role. He's basically getting a 50-50 split of time with Miguel Amaya right now. And, and Amaya came up straight from double A. Now, I don't think Amaya is going to stick around when Jan Gomes is back from the concussion protocol. But I do think that this little stint has led me to believe that Miguel Amaya's uh, ETA is sooner rather than later. I would not be stunned to see him get called up for the Cubs in September and never go back again. Yeah. The Cubs could even trade Barnhart. Like, right. There's always teams that could use the catcher, uh, you know, especially when like Chadwick Trump still has a job and in the major leagues and stuff. So, uh, I mean, who knows, maybe they just decide like, Hey, they'll, they'll get some value out of, of Barnhart and, and then move them right up. I think you just wanted to say Chadwick Trump and I can't say I blame you because it's a great name. <laughs> it is. It is a fantastic name. And I, I just saw, I saw him uh, playing the other day and I was like, huh, he's still in the league. That's fun. Um, let's talk, uh, we'll take a quick break for sponsors, but on the flip side, we're going to talk about the other side of this question, which is the players that we missed on. We're going to talk about some of these fab market conversations that we've been alluding to from the start of the show, but first a quick break. All right, we're back. Uh, the flip side of this question about who you hit on is who you missed on. And I'm just going to be front and center here real and real for a minute. I did not believe the Cubs could fix Cody Bellinger. I did not believe Cody Bellinger could do anything useful on a baseball diamond anymore other than play defense. I was very wrong. By Roto-Wire's earned auction values, Cody Bellinger has been a $34 player so far in fantasy. He's hanging out along with Garrett Cole, Matt Olson, Marcus Simeon, and Brett Rooker as some of the most valuable players in baseball. I He's doing everything for the Chicago Cubs team. And he doesn't look like 2019 Cody Bellinger, as in he does not look like the greatest hitter you've ever seen in your life. But he looks like a guy who can probably maintain a 130-plus WRC plus throughout the season. He's going to hit fifth or sixth for the Cubs. He's going to play every day. And he has tons of incentives to keep bringing it all year. I mean, millions of dollars of incentives. This is a one-year deal with the Cubs. It's a pillow contract to try to land him a long-term deal. What do you think of Cody Bellinger? 
I was big on Bellinger coming into the year, and that was surprising to a lot of people because I've been a Bellinger detractor for a, a number of years. Uh, and I, it wasn't necessarily that I saw anything in the profile that went, oh, Cody Bellinger is going to be back this year. It was mostly the price. Like he was finally going at a cheap enough price where it made sense. And again, we go back to, you know, one of the things I mentioned earlier in the podcast, which is defense matters. And uh, he is, you know, even in his struggles, he's been a very, very good defensive center fielder. And there are not a lot of those out there in major leagues. And so, like, I thought, well, he can play really good defense. Uh, and if for some reason, and steal bases, because, you know, he's going to walk, you know, he's going to steal a few bases. But if there's some, like, crazy, like, you know, maybe – you know, the, the marijuana laws or something are as, uh, <laughs> you know, or a little less lax in, in <laughs> Illinois than they are in California. They're not, but you know, who knows? Like, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, he went on the paternity list. He had a baby. Maybe he's got to stop smoking his with marijuana or something. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe just growing up. Uh, maybe it's just a new environment reinvigorates him. I, I took a lot of gambles on him. He was, he's like my fifth or sixth most rostered player this year in fantasy uh, there are some warning signs that this is not legitimate uh, and that there's going to be some regression while he isn't striking out very much his xba is like 246 um so he's been getting pretty lucky uh but you know what luck can last a little while and i, I wouldn't mind selling high on him in leagues where you can trade unfortunately the majority of leagues i'm in or nfpc where you can't trade uh but if you're if you're looking to like sell high, I think probably now is the time to do it uh, because I do think that there are going to be some you know less than fun days ahead. But at this point, like you said, I mean he's earned so much already uh, that even if he regresses, he's going to be a plus considering where you got him in traps. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, one of the things that I've noticed with Bellinger, and I am not a Cody Bellinger whisperer. I, I'm not a person who breaks down swings for a living or anything like that. But it does seem like the hole that he had at the top of the zone, which is what was really causing him a ton of problems over the last couple of years has closed. And I don't know if that's because of he's got a slightly different stance now. I don't know if that's because of where he's holding his hands. Like, like I said, I'm not the swing whisperer type of person. But I, I do think um, that he is no longer just whiffing on high forcing fastballs and that is helping him out a ton. Yeah. He's also just being more selective in the zone. So like if there is a, you know, he's kind of waiting for his pitch and being uh, okay with taking a cold strike if it's not his pitch. Whereas before he was just trying to jack everything out of the park whenever he could. And he was just whiffing a lot and now he's not doing that. He's being a little bit more selective I think that can work for him for a while, but I do think that pitchers are going to start finding, you know, those holes and kind of trying to exploit them a little bit more. Uh, so we'll see if I, like, my guess is he, he kind of moves towards being a 25% strikeout guy as, a, as, as opposed to the, the below 20 that we've seen. But even that is an improvement on what we've seen in the past and already nine stolen bases and seven home runs. Like, yeah, I mean, if he, you know, steals another, 20 bags and you know hits another 15 home runs you're going to be stoked because you got like second third round value from a guy that you were getting outside of top 150 picks well and how many years have we been waiting for like cody bellinger is going to overperform cody bellinger's mm -hmm. it, this is a great pick and finally it appears to be here the year that right. i was totally out of it who's somebody you missed on justin <laughs> oh man I, there, there's a few of them uh, uh brady singer 
um i was i was really really high on brady singer uh i knew what the 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 red flags were and uh i kind of ignored them uh and not, not that i ignored him i thought he could pitch around because he had been able to uh last season and i was i was really you know he's a two-pitch guy uh and two-pitch guys can struggle especially when they lose command of one of their pitches which has happened this year he's lost command of that fastball uh and he's just getting hit around the yard uh and he has absolutely buried my ratios uh in a couple leagues my main event league between him jose suarez and michael kopech uh, I am in third place in the league with like 96 points, but I've got an over five ERA and an over one four whip. Like I would be potentially like poised to run away with this league and compete for an overall had I just made smarter starting pitching moves uh, in that league. So uh, yeah, Brady Singer, I'm, I'm hoping he can turn it around. But at this point, he's just like glued to my bench or on the waiver wire in shallower formats. You know, Brady Singer is... An interesting guy. And I think that let's just segue here for one second to the starting pitcher conversation, because I think that Brady Singer offers a nice way to do it. He is a guy that you could kind of get away with in the old pitch rules and you could stream him here. There, everything felt like it was going to be fine. It was not going to be that big of a deal. Yeah, you probably don't trust the Royals all that much about starting pitching develop, but you know, he, he's got some stuff and he's interesting and you feel like you can throw him out there at least against the Tigers or something like that. I, I have found that that line of dudes I trust every single day is so much higher this season than it used to be. I mean, it's one of the reasons losing like a Luis Garcia is so devastating. And Luis Garcia has thrown up some stinkers already this year. I mean, I've sort of resigned myself to the fact that even the best pitchers are going to have those games where they get blown up, whether it's because they feel rushed by the pitch clock, they're not into the, the zone of the game as much, the shift isn't doing as much work for them behind them. And I have a hunch that everyone who's sitting on like pristine 3.5, 3.2 ratios in the ERA category right now, those are going to collapse. Like I I, I don't yeah. see, we just saw Kevin Gausman, who was one of the last aces who had just been untouched, get lit up a little bit. I sort of feel like the rules are coming for every pitcher. And I say this as a girl who loves Justin Steele. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to hit everybody at some point. I think what, where you're going to be successful this year is by just avoiding injury because like, I mean, we've, we've already seen just so many guys go down uh, either for the year, you know, Jeffrey Springs for the year, Luis Garcia for the year, uh, you know, uh, Brandon Woodruff for a while. Like, um, but uh, yeah, I agree because we haven't even gotten to the hot part of the year when balls start really flying. So like, this is going to be a battle of attrition, uh, it's going to be a battle of smart decision-making. And this is why, like, I tend to be a guy who is a little bit more conservative, especially early on in my streaming. Um, but also, you know, I talked about this with Jason uh, yesterday on the Sleeper in the Bus. But that, like, you know, in these leagues where your ratios are already torched, like, don't give up because other people are going to come back to you Ratios are the only categories where people can lose ground, right, that they've already gained. And so just because you're far behind right now doesn't mean you can't move those things. And Todd Zolo of Rotowire and Masters Ball like, has done really, really good work in the past on like how much ratios move even late into the season. So don't don't be like, well, my season's over because I've got a 470 ERA. Right now, the average starting pitcher in Major League Baseball has like a 450 ERA. Uh, so like 
you're not that far off, even if you're like me with that, you know, five ERA and 140 whip in, in my main event league. Like I can still make up that ground because other people are going to come back to me and I can make good decisions moving forward. I think that's right. And I think that one of the things you just hit on there that I'd like to spend a little bit of time on is how do you make those decisions early in the season about not panicking on some of this stuff, right? Like I have one league where basically none of the dudes I speculated on for saves are panning out. I think I've got like seven saves in a league and it's like, I have a couple of options there. I can spend, oh my God, number of fab dollars trying to pick up like Michael King and trying to pick up some of these guys who look like they are going to get saves going forward. Or I can try to just punt on that. I've chosen the former rather than the latter at this point in time because I think that there's enough save speculation out there to be had. Adbert Alzali, for example, is another one that I'm, I'm kind of interested in. Um, that that I can make that ground up on saves rather than just trying to punt it and go for like wins and Ks and just like get rid of closers in my lineup altogether. I also don't love some of the marginal starting pitching options right now. I feel like I mean, the the guys that I have picked up on the waiver wire who I've been quote unquote excited about have generally been fifth or sixth in my waterfall. We're talking, I'm getting the Matt Stroms of the world. I'm getting the two start Vince Velasquez before he gets hurt. I am nowhere close to Tanner Bybee or Logan Allen or Taj Bradley or the, you know, starting pitcher du jour who has come up that everybody is. And I don't know, maybe I'm just old. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just the luck of the draw, the leagues that I am in this year. I feel like you used to be able to get those guys for right around 196, right? Like right just shy of 200 was going to get you one of those dudes. I'm looking at the bids in my leagues and they are in the 350 to $400 range. And I, I'm just out at that point this early in the season. I need fab dollars in August. <laughs> uh I made I made a decision like this last year, um, which uh, was reminded to me yesterday by uh, uh, Zach Waxman, um, who was all like, "Last year, Nolan Gorman was a guy who was spent, you know, some people spent hundreds of dollars on and really disappointed, right? Like he was the he was the first real big prospect to come up, and and he pointed out that I spent the most on him in a main event at three hundred eighteen dollars last year, and I said like, I learned my I learned my lesson, like I. I do not spend that kind of money because what ended up happening and like, he was, he was okay. Like, especially for a little while, at least like he, you know, he had like 12 home runs or something like 10 home. I don't know. I can't remember exactly what it was last year, but you know, and you know, played a fair amount for the Cardinals, but like, he didn't, he didn't like make a huge difference for my team that I couldn't have gotten from like a Jonathan scope-esque type player for $7 off the wire. Um, and what it ended up doing was just hamstrung me the rest of the way. And I think when you spend, you know, even 25%, uh, but especially when you start getting the 30 and 40% of your fab, uh, you know, and not just your remaining fab, but your fab for the year, when you're spending that kind of money on one player, yes, if they hit, it can be fantastic, right? If Taj Bradley had stayed up and been what we saw in his first couple starts, for the rest of the year and got you 140 innings or 150 innings of that, like that would have been worth it to spend 300 plus dollars. But the chance that a guy's going to do that is so small. And one, you know, I watched Scott Jenstad in both of my main event legs last year. And for those who don't know, Scott Jenstad is a fantastic fantasy baseball player uh, that works over at uh, Roto-Wire. And uh, I was uh, unlucky enough to be in both of his mains, uh, and that meant he was in both of my mains, which he won both leagues and uh, and finished third overall in one of them. Uh, and the way he outplayed everybody in Fab was really enlightening. 
he was spending, especially early on in the season, the first two to three months of the season, he was not really spending more than 20 bucks on any particular player. He was kind of doing this spray and pray approach. And it worked out really, really well for him because the guys that didn't pan out, he just dropped right back to the waiver wire and went somewhere else. But he got John Birdie for $24 and got like 30 say or 30 stolen bases from. He got uh, you know, Jake McCarthy, you know, for like $17 and got a bunch of stolen bases. And like he he legitimately won our Vegas um league, uh main event league because of those two pickups. Like, I mean, you know, and uh he if he had spent three hundred dollars on, you know at random X player, uh, then it would have, you know, I am strong him from being able to make those moves later on uh, that helped him win the league. And so I've really adjusted my kind of strategy. Now, does that mean I didn't spend a hundred dollars on Hayden Wisniewski uh, uh, when everybody else was spending money on uh, Bibby and um, uh, Logan Allen? And I was going for those guys as well, but I didn't spend, you know, $300. And now I've got an extra hundred something dollars to play with. And so I, you will probably never, or I don't want to say never, but it is very, very unlikely that I'm ever going to spend more than $200 on an individual player, uh, especially in the first two to three months of the season. Yeah, there was a really interesting conversation on Beat the Shift last week with Ariel Cohen and Joe Sheehan and Ruben Guy talking about like, one of the places that we have not really as a fantasy community settled on values, like we have auction values, we have rest of season projections, we have like how much has this guy been worth so far and all of that type of stuff. We don't really have a good metric for you should spend X amount of fab on this type of player. And and the problem is that these bids are all being driven by what if Tanner Bybee is this year Shane McClanahan or this year Spencer Strider. Now, there's a shot that Tanner Bybee is Spencer Strider. And if he is, and you got Tanner Bybee, whether it costs you $190 or $350 or $500 or whatever, you are probably going to be happy with that. And you might do it again. <laughs> but for every guy who is the Spencer Strider in a, in a given season, there's the Josh Lowe's who also went for $190 and then were immediately back in AAA, right? Like there's the Taj Bradley who went for just as much and is I don't even know what the Rays are doing, like working him to a five-day rotation. I, I This seems like very what, Rays. We're just raising it. Destroyed in AAA, uh, where now people are going to end up dropping him because he's struggling in AAA, and, and someone's going to pick him up for $18 and, and, <laughs> and benefit when he comes back. So uh, I just, yeah, I just think you put in, you, there's just too much risk to invest that kind of fab. In, in in one individual player, especially in unknown commodity. You know, if you know, if this was like a situation where, you know, somebody, you know, someone asked me today, like, uh, mm-hmm. hey, you know, Starling Marte was just dropped in my league. How much fab would you put in? We know what Starling Marte is and how much he could change, you know, as long as he's healthy, like five categories of your hitting. And that's the kind of guy that I'm willing to go 200 plus on not the guy like I like Matt Mervis a lot but like I wasn't getting Matt Mervis yesterday because I as much as I think I have a good understanding of like what he potentially could be I have no idea like if if he you know if he's Spencer Torkelson which has been a guy who doesn't hit his body weight and you know because of that doesn't hit very much power on top of it like 
I, am I just flushing $200 down the drain? So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're much better off like trying to spread the wealth a little bit. And then especially once you know what you need, because right now you may like, oh, well, my ratio is torch. I need starting pitching. Yeah, but like those ratios, like I said, they move and other people's ratios move. And, you know, like you don't really know until June-ish like that, like what you really, really need. And that's when the time, I think that's the time when you really want to become aggressive, especially because other people are going to spend money and being aggressive in June is not how aggressive you need to be in April and May. Yeah, I think that's an apt point. Like the knowing what you need at different points in time. And, and this actually segues to another question that I had that I wanted to talk through with you, which is my general rule of thumb with fantasy baseball for years has been to sort of not panic till Memorial Day. Like I, I don't really know who my starting pitchers are until Memorial Day. You know, you can have a guy like a Marcus Simeon who last year struggled uh, real a lot early. Like if you dropped Marcus Simeon early last year, you were regretting it late for sure. Uh, he has not struggled this year. He's been outstanding. Um, so any any worries about a slow start for Marcus Simeon this year can be put to rest. Um, but what do you have a date like that in your mind that you're looking for for like this is when I'm going to start to make some of these tough decisions, or is it is it more fluid than that? I think it's a little bit more fluid than that. I mean, Memorial Day used to be kind of the date where I would go, okay, this is the time where I'm really going to start kind of like making tough decisions, but. We also have a lot more information at kind of our disposal, uh, especially with StatCast and stuff plus and, you know, Command Plus. And like we start to see some of these statistics start to solidify a little bit earlier. Um, and so it's really a matter of, you know, is there something in the profile that tells me something is wrong? Right. So, you know, like, uh, you know, Brady Singer, like for me, like, there is something wrong with Brady Singer, like, right? And so, like, I know that I either need to drop him or I need to move on. And this is a guy that previously, yeah, I would, I, he'd be in my lineup no matter what until Memorial Day, just torching my ratios. Um, and now I'm like, okay, you've torched me for a month. I'm seeing, you know, I, I can see what is wrong. You know, the two pitch mix isn't working because he's losing fastball command. Um, so I am either moving on or I am, uh, benching and, and using somebody else. Uh, but I think it's, I think it's important to be evaluating constantly and kind of looking really on a week to week basis, like, Hey, what's going on with each individual player? Because there are going to be guys that, uh, are bad and they're bad for a reason or they're bad and Hey, they're just getting unlucky and in the vice versa, like, you know, Ezekiel Duran, the guy that, you know, I think I've already mentioned once is, you know, so like he's been running really hot, but like the underlying stuff tells me like, this is going to end poorly at some point. And so like, you want to jump off before it ends poorly or as it's beginning to end poorly, not after it's ended poorly. Right. And so I think you need to be constantly reevaluating things, especially with the amount of data we have, we can do that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier that I just want to flag before we get to the last question here on what the fab, that is always the last question on what the fab is that 
a lot of the guys who are difference makers for your leagues are not necessarily the guys who are going for 200, 300 dollars. I mean, I think the guy that won me more leagues than anything last year was Brandon Drury. And I picked him up early because he was on a burner and I saw that he had like five positions he was eligible for. And so like two fab periods before everybody was in on Brandon Drury, I was like, I'm just going to drop $12 on this and see what happens. And that was a league winner for me, right? Like that was a guy who stayed in my lineup most of the season and just did a ton of damage. Um, it was not anybody that I spent 200 plus fab dollars on. I mean, I, I dropped my ham. I kept a hammer last year. I saved it till the end. I dropped it on Dustin May exactly like I planned to. And Dustin May did not win me any leagues. Yeah. And I mean, here's the thing, like for every time we get, I think a Mike Trout, you know, or Juan Soto or a Ronald Acuna, like these guys that come up and just like, you know, Tatis like come up and like hit and like our studs right away. There are all the guys names we've forgotten about that burned us you know remember when cole tucker was going for 250 dollars in fab because i remember because i spent that money on cole tucker thinking he was like look at the hair he's got power he's got speed he's gonna play every day because it's pittsburgh who else you know and and then uh, two weeks later i'm like oh i guess i'm dropping the guy i spent 250 dollars on like um there are a lot more guys that are going to fail you when they come up because baseball is hard especially pitching man pitching is hard so as much as I am, I really like uh, Bybee. I really like Logan Allen. I like, you know, some things we've seen from Bryce Miller. Uh, Mason Miller's look amazing. Like, there's a lot that can go wrong. Uh, and it can go wrong very, very quickly. And you're going to miss a lot. You know, look at Brandon Fat. Like, how many people were, like, super excited to get Brandon Fat in their lineup uh, last week? Um, so, uh, just be careful. Like, you know, I think it, I think – too often we want to be aggressive, but, and we forget that like, Hey, this is a really, really long season. This isn't football. You know, we're not, you know, this is a, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And if you sprint too hard, too early, you're going to be at the end of the season looking like, Oh, I have no money and not enough talent to compete. Yeah. I, I'm hoping to get that Brandon fat rebound after the people in my league who picked him up for $300 panic and drop him. I'm like, pick up Brandon fat on the flip side for like 50 bucks and, mm. and ride that into the sunset. Um, but Justin, the question we always end with the fab on, what would you, what t- advice would you give to a new ish fantasy baseball player? All right. So uh, I think the best advice is do not give up. Like do not like I, I think way too often, and I think almost everybody at any sort of skill level and experience level has times in which they just go, you know what, my my season. I, I had the worst season of my life last year. I mean, it was absolutely awful. But I continued to grind all year long because the truth of the matter is other people give up. And when other people give up, you can gain points in the standings a lot easier than you think, especially once June and July come around and people start going, oh, fantasy football drafts and, you know, oh, summer vacations. Like people get complacent, even the best of players, even players in the NFBC main event give up and like, well, my team's not doing good. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to worry about doing them. If you are consistently grinding and putting in the work, you will get better. And it may not always translate into wins. Like I said, I kept grinding last year. I didn't win a single league. I didn't cash in a single league last year outside of a three-sport league. Um, And so, uh, but if if you kind of keep grinding, keep persevering, 
you're going to have really, really good results. And then when you do have those good teams, you'll know how to grind really well. And so uh, just being consistent and showing up is a real big portion of the battle. Well, particularly in a season like fantasy baseball, right? We have 162 games that we're playing with here. And whether you're playing in an auto new league where you're really looking at like game totals and trying to make sure that you hit the exact right numbers and you don't overshoot or undershoot or anything like that, or whether you're playing in a head-to-head league where you're really just trying to maximize some of those plate appearances, make sure that you're not getting penalized by things like strikeouts or whatnot. Like they're knowing the different rules and making sure that you show up every single day you can do a lot of damage just being the person who shows up in August and September. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard, like, especially when you're looking at, you know, and I learned this lesson a few years ago in an NFBC league where I was in like 12th place in July. And, uh, and I went, ah, there's no way I am going to compete in this league. So I stopped paying attention to it. And, a month later, I just kind of, you know, I was like setting my lineups and stuff, but I wasn't really, you know, doing a lot of work and stuff. And I, I went back and kind of looked at the standings about a month later in August. And I'd moved up from 12th place to sixth place. And I went, oh, I wasn't even doing anything. Um, and I and I was gaining ground the whole time and I didn't even notice. And so I went, okay, I'm gonna start taking this seriously. And I finished the league in second place. Um And what I learned was, like, had I been paying attention that whole time, I probably would have won the league. Yeah. And it just taught me, like, other people are going to stop paying attention. You know, just because you started off unlucky doesn't mean you're going to be unlucky the entire way through. You know, and as long as you keep on top of things, you tend to have pretty good results. And so uh, it was a real wake-up call for me that uh, I'm not going to, like, give up. I don't care if I'm in dead last in a league luckily this year i'm not dead last in any leagues but uh even if i'm dead last in the league i am not giving up until the last game in september or october i'm just gonna keep playing it out even if it's just to like hey i didn't finish last in this league then uh, then that's enough for me i have one league where i am vacillating between like 10th and dead last on any given day at the moment but i'm not giving up in that league either uh justin thank you so much for taking some time on what the fab here today to share your thoughts and ideas with everyone. Where can people find you? Where can they find your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter or really any social media, Justin Mason fantasy or sorry, Justin Mason FWFB. Um, you can uh, read all my work. I write pretty much daily at fan and like three times a week at fantasy pros sleep on the bus podcast, FWFB podcast. And if I ever restart the TGFBI podcast, TGFBI podcast, and that's, I think that's everything right now. Justin is like the hardest working person in fantasy sports. Every podcast is great. You should totally listen and follow him. Great follow on Twitter. One of the nicest people that I have ever met. I was so glad to meet you in person at First Pitch Arizona. Uh, if you want to follow my work, you can follow it at, at BCB underscore Sarah. There is no H on the Sarah. Make sure you're also following at Fans for Sports Network for all of your fantasy and other sports related needs make sure you're following what the fab if you like the show leave us a five-star review and a rating it helps other people find the show so that they can like it too uh next time we will be back talking about next week's fab items what has gone on between here and there whatever happened with this whole Contreras situation when he came back to chicago and hopefully not uh doing such a long recap of injuries at the top but if we have to we will because that's we're always prepared here at what's Fab. until next time 